Hey, did you happen to miss one of the shows right here on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio? All of our shows are archived on Facebook, iHeartRadio, Player.fm, and of course, on KRBNRadio.net. We hope that you'll check them out, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show, with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, and good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where I'm shaking it up and I'm broadcasting live from the kitchen today instead of my office. And a couple of weeks ago, I, I was out on the patio, and then I was in the, the den the other day. So I'm trying to move it around a little bit. Now, this, this, this quarantine thing, you kind of got to change things up a little, or, you know, I, uh, it's just, you know we do what we do. <laughs> uh, actually, the whole reason I'm moving out of the office is the same place our Peloton bike is, and I want my wife to have the opportunity to, to ride while I'm doing the show. So uh, that's why we're here in the kitchen in, in the Bozovich Poodle Ranch and uh, Duck Farm. So, you know, it's been a, another coronavirus week here in Oregon, and, you know, things are getting a little crazy. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about, should, you know, is it time to reopen things? And, you know, what are we doing? And the governor finally kind of came out with some draft guidelines to what she'd like to see happen before she lets things reopen. And, uh, you know, it's just, been a strange uh, sort of week here, but I am, I just have to, you know, you know, thank the weather gods that they finally brought us some rain today and the pollen counts down for the first time. So I probably won't start hacking and coughing halfway through the Bose Nose Show like I did last week. Uh, our tree pollen count has been astronomical for the last week. And it's really great to have gotten some rain. One, because it brings the fire danger down a little bit. Uh, it might actually finish refilling Fern Ridge Reservoir, and, uh, but the, probably the biggest thing is taking the pollen out of the air because, oh, my gosh, it's been bad here. But, you know, this whole thing with, with the COVID-19 and the coronavirus stuff um, has led a, to a lot of strange things the government's doing where people are just shaking their heads. You know, like it's, it's not okay to uh, make a decision to get your hair cut, but it is okay to go buy a lottery ticket in person, you know. Uh, you know the things that are not okay and are okay just, you know, sometimes don't quite have, um, you know, a much connection to logic behind them. And and some of the things that, you know, government's gotten into some really strange places of overreach, like in Michigan where the governor there made it illegal to go out on a boat with a motor, but it was okay to take a sailboat out. Now, mind you, um, this week, where uh, our Health and Human Services people apparently are running into a few roadblocks with a couple of local hotels about putting some uh, homeless people into the hotels that either um, are awaiting test results or 
think they might have COVID-19 or are actually COVID-19 positive. And, of course, you know, that hotels are a little bit nervous about that. Um, and they wanted the Board of Commissioners acting as the Board of Health because we are, you know, when we act as the Board of Health, we have authority even inside city limits um, to, uh, to adopt an ordinance, or at least we were having the first reading. It takes two readings to adopt an ordinance in Lane County by our code. Um, for those of you listening outside of Oregon, you might not have ever heard of that, but it stems way back to when the state was formed and they used to uh, read uh, proposed laws and then post them in the public square for, for the minimum of 13 days before they are acted on by the body <laughs> to make sure that everybody knew what was coming. And, and in that, on that 13th day, you could hold a public hearing and then and, and do a second reading um, and then vote on it. Um, so we had the first reading for an ordinance that would have required hotels to accept payment and vouchers uh, for uh, folks, homeless folks, to stay there that were set there from the county for health reasons. And, uh, of course, that wasn't terribly popular and led to um, quite a bit of consternation on the hotel um, uh, side of things and uh, asking us not to move forward with it. And even though yesterday didn't actually approve it, all it did was move us to a second reading, I voted against doing that because I kind of felt like it was coercion. Um, and it was enough that it made, you know, the local newspaper and, 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 uh, and television news and all that and, and kind of caught the attention of a regional talk show host here in the Northwest, Lars Larson. And Lars uh, contacted me almost right away and said, can we talk about this? And I was like, ah, let's wait and see. Because you know, he, he actually contacted me before we had our board meeting. I was kind of hoping it was going to die, and lo and behold, it went on with a four-to-one vote where I was the only person that voted against it. Uh, so I was on the Lars Larson show today at 1 o'clock, and Robin, through the magic of the Internet and all that stuff, was able to record that, that interview, and uh, I'm going to play that back here for, for a minute. Uh, it's not too long of an interview with, with Lars, uh, but it kind of – runs past a couple things. It's kind of interesting because Lars wants to try and take me a few places I didn't really want to go, but that's typical Lars. Uh, but let's go ahead and have a listen and, 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 and think about, you know, forcing hotels to accept homeless people. Uh, to have you back on the program. You and I talk about all kinds of crazy things, and I got the impression you thought this whole proposal was just going to die. Has it? Uh, no, it has not. And in fact, it's moving to a public hearing and a second vote to adopt the ordinance in two weeks um, on a four to one vote. Uh, I was the lone opposing vote. Cut out there, Robin. Uh, Jay, it's a pleasure to have you back on the program. You and I talk about all kinds of crazy things, and I got the impression you thought this whole proposal was just going to die. Has it? Uh, no, it has not. And in fact, it's moving to a public hearing and a second vote to adopt the ordinance in two weeks um, on a four-to-one vote. Uh, I was the lone opposing vote. Uh, Jay, it's a pleasure to have you back on the program. You and I talk about a lot of things. Apologize for that. And the will be there, Robin. You want to pull that? Proposal was just get down. Has it? Get the right uh, no, it has not. And in fact, it's moving to a public hearing and a second vote to adopt the ordinance in no. two weeks um, 
they're not they're, they're not even having maids come in and change the linens in a room as they regularly would. And they're telling people, when you check out, we're going to leave that room empty for a day before we clean it. Then we're going to clean it. Then we're going to leave it empty for another day. If you're a medical personnel who's been in, you know, possibly uh, exposed to coronavirus, we're going to leave it empty for three days. I mean, you're talking about extraordinary costs that hotels are going to have to take on if they're ready to do all of that to accommodate people and to knowingly take in a client who you know has coronavirus or is waiting for the test on it seems especially problematic. Yeah, and when you think about who our unhoused are, um, there's a high percentage of those folks that have uh, addiction issues and a high percentage that have mental health issues. They're not going to follow the rules well you know, and stay in their room. So it's kind of not a really great deal for the the hotels besides the the lost business, the liabilities. And, you know, I I feel for the hotel staff. You know, one of the things that's turned up during this whole thing demographically here in Lane County is we're disproportionately represented of Hispanics that have COVID-19 that tested positive. And we're talking about placing COVID-19 possibly COVID-19 positive people into hotels that are generally have a higher demographic of Hispanic staff. In the Tri-Cities right now, Foster Farms apparently has a chicken plant that's, you know, it's lost 100 workers who are, who are COVID positive. And I don't think they're releasing the demographic data. Usually health, public health people love to give out demogra- demographic data. But in this case, I haven't seen it. I haven't been able to find it yet. But you think I'm right in suspecting that perhaps an awful lot of the workers at that Tri-Cities chicken plant may be Hispanic as well. And so there's some issues there. Uh, but anyway, yeah. uh, has the county council, your lawyer, said, I think you're on firm legal ground to the commissioners to have to do this kind of thing? I, I believe our council is supporting the ordinance under our emergency powers of the Board of Health. Yeah. And, and I, but I, you know, yeah, I think back to the Declaration of Independence, you know, and that was a, basically a statement of grievances. Now, one of the grievances against England was quartering of soldiers forcibly in people's houses. You know, at the government's Yeah, at the government's order. How is this not different than what people fought a revolution over? That's one of the least used of the Bill of, Bill of Rights, isn't it? Number three, one nobody ever brings up, but maybe it plays a role here. That's uh, Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich with us. We'll be back in just a moment. That was Lars Larson interviewing me earlier today about the idea of uh, forcing contracts onto these hotels. And I will, I will stick to my guns on this. I do believe that it does violate the Third Amendment of the Bill of Rights. And it just, you know, for me, in principle, as a libertarian-oriented person, I believe we have to use the force of government as little as possible, you know, and, that, and that's taxation and that's regulation. Anytime we, 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 we threaten people with basically arrest and, and, and restriction of their freedoms because we passed something through the government. And to basically tell these hotels, well, we don't, you know, we're just starting to work on this ordinance just in case we can't come to an agreement with you. It's kind of like, negotiating with somebody 
and having you know somebody stand behind that person with a sword over their head and and, and saying, oh we're, yeah, this is all an open negotiation. We're just trying to come to an agreement. But just in case we don't, that guy's standing behind you with a sword. <laughs> it's like, how is it not coercion? To, to have this actually on our agenda for two weeks from now, that we can pull the trigger on an ordinance that will force them to accept a contract from us. Uh, is that an open and free negotiation? No, it's coercion. You know, it's just as bad as the Supreme Court's decision way back when they approved Kello and, and made it okay to um, take a person's property for economic development instead of having to come out and, and buy that person's property you know, at a mutually agreed to price. You know, that it just doesn't make sense. And I really just can't get the idea. Not to mention, I've even heard from somebody that insures hotels and is, is basically saying, this could violate a hotel's insurance policy to accept these people. So that you know, it's really um, poorly thought out to move in this direction, and I will continue my opposition to the idea. And I'm hoping my fellow board members might decide that it's still a bad idea, and our agenda team could even you know maybe you know strike this from the agenda as being unnecessary. Um, I, I just it, it it bothers me. There's other options. We did purchase a VA clinic a couple weeks back that we're now in the process of upgrading so we can move people in there. That's a, you know, a few weeks out before we can actually move, utilize that facility. You know, it's like in the interim, why can't we come to an agreement with the local hospitals that are starving for revenue? Um, you know, no, I don't want to pay several thousand dollars a night for a hotel bed but there might be something in between because this is a potential patient that might potentially need medical care. And if it is an unhoused person, it, they probably do need some kind of medical care, whether it's mental health or addiction treatment as they come off the street and get isolated, um, you know, and they go, you know, start to detox or whatever else happens uh, there. Um, you know, that, that's got to, you know, that's got to be a better answer than, forcing hotels to accept people. Um, you know, somebody else came up with the idea. I heard somebody call into uh, or sent an email on the radio show this morning, uh, Bill London there on KPNW on the wake-up call, suggested maybe some of those, you know, dormitories that are now uh, empty at UO could house these people. Um, you know, why are we forcing private business to do something, you know, and using that government force? Should we use the least amount possible. That's always been my philosophy when it comes to governing. Should government should be at the closest level of the people. You know, that's, you know, I even had to disagree with, with some of the things that President Trump was saying that he had the power to do because he doesn't. The Tenth Amendment's there for a reason. Those powers that are not specifically enumerated in the Constitution as federal powers belong to the states and the people, you know, and, and needs to go down back to local government. So, you know, local governments, where the, that's where the biggest government, most powerful government should be. You move up the ladder, it should get smaller and less powerful as you go. 
you know, our federal government should be the least powerful government in the U.S. and should really only have powers that are described in the Constitution. States should be the next, you know, smallest government, and your your city government or your county, if you're a rural resident, should be your biggest branches of government with the most powers because you can actually run into those elected officials in the grocery store. When's the last time you ran into a U.S. Senator, Fred Meyer? Yeah. When's the last time you ran into a governor at Fred Meyer? Now, I've run into lots of my constituents at Fred Meyer, and I run into them all the time all over my district. In fact, I always joke that I have to allow an extra 15 minutes every time I go out to do an error because somebody will stop me and ask me a question because I'm recognizable and I'm there in the community. Government at the most local level possible and with the least amount of coercion of its citizens. As light a touch as possible because I believe in the individuals. And I believe individuals that are adults, consenting adults making decisions freely should be able to carry out those decisions and at the same time accept the consequences of those decisions. So that gets me to the reopening conversation that's been going on. You know, and, and what do we need to do when we reopen and everything? And I listened in on the governor's talk to uh, local county commissioners last Monday where she went through her slideshow that the Oregonian, thank goodness, got a hold of somehow or another um, and provided that to the public about what she wanted to see before she reopened Oregon, um, everything from declining caseloads and, and all that stuff, to in the first phase, and this is another one that bothers me, she is asking county commissioners to vote and to have a certification that there's enough PPE, personal protection equipment, for first responders in their county. There's only one set of first responders that reports to the county commissioners. That's the sheriff's deputies. Municipal police forces don't report to them. All the fire folks across the county don't report to them. Ambulance services don't report to the county commissioners necessarily. There's a couple counties that have ambulance services, but not all. Um, here in Lane County, they don't. Um, you know, all the hospitals and, and ERs, none of those people report to us. Yet we're going to have to certify that before she'll let us reopen. Do you think maybe that the governor is trying to set us up as the ones that are going to that, that she's going to say, look, see the county certified it, so they're the ones liable. <laughs> and of course, we're supposed to certify this based on other people sending us letters that they have enough of it. You know, why not just? you know, have those folks make that decision themselves. Why does the county government have to get involved with that? I'm sure the head of Peace Health Hospitals knows that they've got enough PPE. And I'm sure that the, the fire chief for uh, Lane Fire District Number 1 knows what his folks do. You know, what, what do I have to do with that? You know, and then, you know, it gets down to, you know, we're allowing farmers markets to continue to operate and we're allowing lottery sales and liquor stores and pot stores to continue to operate. Why can't retail stores, other retail stores, 
decide whether they want to operate or not. You know, the owners of those stores understand whether they can provide social distancing, and they know they're going to have to assure their customers that their store is safe and clean. Why can't those customers make that decision? Because what the governor's plan is, is doing is they're trying to have a, a plan for every business sector. Every type of business has to get together and put together their plan and their requirements and their little checklist of what you have to do to reopen you know, instead of letting each individual business owner kind of make that decision, they're going to try and, you know, spend a whole bunch of time and, and, and come out with these checklists. Some of them will probably be ridiculous. Um, and enforce, and then how are they going to enforce that, you know? But they have to have the checklist, and supposedly people have to agree to adhere to the checklist then to reopen their business, you know, and then how do they know if they're even doing that? Um, it seems to me that, you know, if you're a, you know, a, a uh, auto parts store that wants to reopen so folks can get auto parts for their cars and do their own work and stuff like that, that you should understand what it takes to provide your customers safe distance between each other. Whether it's, you know, you let customers in one at a time through the door, you keep account of how many customers are in the store, you wipe stuff down, you know, or they come to the counter and you're not letting people pick from the shelves and they have to order and, and you have a, have a, uh, uh, a employee go pull stuff from shelves. You know what works and you know what your customers will be comfortable with. And, and, you know, asking people to wear their mask in public, you know, so we're not, you know, transmitting if we, you know, to other people. It doesn't protect you personally. Washing your hands protects you. Um, you know, I think if you're an adult and you can think for yourself and assess risk, you can make those decisions yourself. We don't need to have a 40-slide slideshow on how we're going to reopen Oregon. You know, we might just kind of think that the citizens of Oregon know when they can possibly reopen, and in particular, geographic reasons. One of the things that she's trying to get to is having it do go kind of county by county and stuff like that. Lane County is not very homogeneous. You know, we've had 48 cases of COVID-19 in Lane County confirmed. 46 of those have been in Eugene Springfield. The other two have been outside Eugene Springfield area. And that's 44,000 square miles of territory. You know, Eugene Springfield are about 60 square miles. That's like 4,000 square miles minus the 60. Two cases since this all began. You know, do you think maybe we could think about those rural areas getting back and opening a little sooner than maybe Eugene Springfield? And, and there should be a difference between how those areas react. Do you think we may might even want to, you know, um, move this downhill a little bit and let the city of Florence make decisions for the city of Florence and let Oak Ridge make decisions for the city of Oak Ridge and Cottage Grove make decisions for the city of Cottage Grove instead of Lane County making one decision that's going to apply for all of Lane County. You know, so it, it just, you know, I, I think that we're overthinking this reopening thing a little bit too much. You know, people aren't going to go back to what it was. I'm not, you're not going to see people hugging and kissing in the street. You're not going to see, you know, 
people shaking hands, and you're not going to see people ready to, to crowd themselves into a small space together. You know, people understand there's a risk to that. And the ones that don't, you know, they're going to have to understand, you know, the consequences of doing that. You know, that, you know, you have the freedom as an adult to make uncoerced decisions, but you have to also live with the consequences of those decisions. So talked a lot here on the Bozno show so far, and I've forgotten to give out the phone number. I should have done that at the top of the show. Uh, you know, Lars is good about giving out his, and I forgot to give out mine. I want to just thank Lars Larson for having me on the show today. So the call-in number here is, as I completely missed it, 646-721-9887. And that gets you into the, the, the board here on the Bozno Show. And press 1 after you get on the board. And that puts a little question mark up there for us so we know you want to talk. Because we do get people that call in sometimes that just want to listen. So 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire. Know you want to get on the conversation. And uh, we'll have a, have a conversation. We can talk about something other than COVID-19. We just did a couple things this week at the Board of Commissioners that, that have absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19. It's kind of nice to do that sometimes. And you know, we talked about floodplain and updating our, our, our uh, floodplain maps on the coast and the coastal flood zones uh, that, that got redone by FEMA over the last couple of years and modernizing our code that goes along with that to match the terminology that FEMA uses uh, so that we can stay in, in conformance with state and federal law. And we did that this week and adopted that. So there's new floodplain maps on, on the on the western section of Lane County that impact my district specifically. Um, so, you know, there's still stuff like that that has to get done as part of, of you know, keeping our, our government running and, and the lights on and the doors open. There's also, um, you know, we were working on a temporary campground um, uh, set of regulations that has been slowly um, progressing over the years uh, to try and make sure that we can provide a clear set of guidelines for those folks that want to not open a permanent campground, which takes a whole land use application, but be able to hold have a campground for a temporary event, uh, outdoor event of some kind, and, and know how to apply for that permit, know what the regulations are going to be, and have that kind of encode. And we were working on that this week. But, you know, one of the things we did work on that yeah, I still can't understand why we're continuing to work on it, is our um, greenhouse gas inventory for the Lane County government. Um, you know, I, I posted something this week um, up on Facebook that basically everything that you hear people want us to do to prevent climate change creates the kind of economic damage we're seeing now under the COVID-19 stay-at-home orders just in slower motion. Think about what's happened so very rapidly with shutting down our economy and the stay-at-home orders. We've suddenly stopped using oil to the point where oil futures went negative for a while because there's no place to store the oil being pumped out of the ground. So that, you know, we're not using oil fast as fast as it can be produced um, around the world, and they're going to have to some, somehow just cut it off. 
and the folks that had bought futures were having to dump them, having to pay people to take them, basically. Um, you know, because so, they couldn't accept, they had no way to accept the, the shipment. You know, so, you know, that is one of the goals of the cap and trade type legislation, and I should have been more like cap and tax, is they want to get there, but instead of getting there through shutting the economy down in a stay-at-home order, they want to get there by raising the price of petroleum and and those sort of uh, products up so high that people will stop using them down to a level that you're seeing today. Because their targets are, are you, you, you know, what they're talking about as far as their targets go are impossible to hit without taking our economy back, way back, as far as how much energy we use. And, you know, if we have to cut back that far in, in, in oil usage by making it that pricey, what do you think that's going to do to things like our tourism economy that's happening today under COVID-19? What do you think it's going to do to um, people just going out to the theater or, or going any place in their cars if it's that expensive that they don't want to travel to get down to COVID-19 level use of oil and gas? So here we are moving ahead to the Board of Commissioners with a greenhouse gas inventory. And one of the interesting things about it, though, was there are a couple graphs in there that are showing how our energy use has actually dropped over the last five years. Now, if people think about this, for those five years, there was a, com a conservative board of commissioners in Lane County. <laughs> the new liberal progressives didn't take over until about a year ago. So the time period that this covered was basically covering those the mostly conservative years, four years, and we were dropping our energy usage without having a climate action plan. Why? Just because it's good government to use less energy because we use less tax dollars. And conservatives like to conserve. That's part of our name. Don't waste shit. Stuff. <laughs> Good thing it's the internet, not real radio. <laughs> but, you know, here, here's this report that clearly shows we're actually doing really well without having to, to call it a climate action plan and virtue signal because it's just the right thing to do. While at the same time over those five years, and particularly under the leadership of the previous board, we made a massive expansion of our public health system in new clinics opening up. So there were new, we were actually reducing energy usage while we were building or opening other facilities around the county. We actually have more square footage owned by the county today than we did five years ago, yet we're using less electricity. And also at the same time, we've increased the amount of road work we're doing, paving and, and mowing and all that stuff because we got the House Bill 2017 that passed a few years ago, and we've been actually increasing all that work. So, and at the same time, we've decreased our natural gas usage over that time. You know, so our electricity and all that have dropped, have been slowly dropping 
while at the same time we've actually been increasing the number of employees we have, the number of square feet of buildings we have, the amount of work we're doing, you know, the, everything that's been going up, yet we've been able to control our energy during that and, and actually reduce it. So how are we going to do more? I don't know. And, and one of the questions I asked, you know, that they, they kind of didn't really have wrapped into this, quote, inventory was uh, about electric vehicles and the, the, the end cost of disposal of batteries and whether that was actually accounted for well. And it didn't, didn't get a really clear answer that was well accounted for. So, um, you know, they like to tout electric vehicles because you plug them into something that's being charged by a, a, a hydroelectric dam, so it's not burning um, petroleum. But still, they have a higher energy input to them to build, so it takes more energy to build an electric vehicle than a, than a gas-powered vehicle. And then there's this disposal at the end with the batteries that they don't really always account for. So whether they're, you know, they do claim that because in the Northwest we're mostly hydro, there is a net uh, gain in, in lowering of greenhouse gas emissions. But, you know, I had to point out that by far our most dominant source of greenhouse gas emissions is methane from our landfill that escapes. We don't quite get captured to feed the EPUD turbines that we have there. We do capture a good portion of the methane and, and generate electricity with it. We don't capture it all because we have to have some of our, you know, you know, you're loading garbage in that's generating methane as you as you compact it. Um, you can't quite cover and capture that so well. And even though that's 80% of our greenhouse gas footprint, more than that, our our short mountain landfill, it pales in comparison to the amount of methane generated from wetlands across the globe. You know, wetlands generate methane. It's a natural fact. And at the same time, you know, methane is a much more powerful greenhouse gas than CO2. And at the same time that we supposedly are, you know, now generating methane from our landfill, we've lost acres and acres of wetlands over the last 200 years across the globe in, in the developing and expanding population of the world. No one's shown how that balances. You know, everyone that claims that somehow or another humans are causing climate change, I never see in that climate change modeling the reduction of methane production from loss of wetlands. Because my guess is it probably dwarfs a lot of human activity because it's a much more powerful greenhouse gas and there's been a huge loss of wetlands across the globe. You know, that's an environmental concern itself because wetlands are a great um, sponge for flood control and they are a great filter, like the kidneys, of, uh, they, they call it, of the ecosystem and getting stuff out of, uh, you know, pollutants out of the water. Um, they're, they're, they're a good thing and we've lost a lot of them, but no one accounts for that. In, in some of the math that goes into these models that are predicting doom, let alone the fact that, you know, we're coming out of an ice age and frankly, the world does better when it's warmer than, than colder. And they can't really distinguish the natural warming from coming out of an ice age 
from the human-caused warming. I have not yet seen good evidence of, of a, a separation as far as the margin of error in the measurements and being able to account for the human-caused warming being more than that margin of error. So it's just, you know, here we are spending money. We've actually hired somebody on at the county to be our, quote, climate person. Um, and, you know, while we're, you know, in the middle of a COVID-19 crisis and everything else, we're focusing on climate change because our current progressive board wants to, you know, show that they are, are you know, their virtue in, in trying to do something about that. Um, of course, I'm the only commissioner with a degree in science. And I'm the only commissioner that seems to not be going along with this whole thing. But it just amazes me that we continue to pursue this in the face of the fact that we're actually making progress as, a, as an organization to reduce our footprint without having to even have a plan. Because we just know it's good business and good government to reduce our cost anytime we can because we just don't have a big budget. Because our current board doesn't think we should be getting our federal lands to contribute what they should be contributing, like the Oregon and California lands. So, yes, we do continue to do some things at the board. Sometimes there are things that are necessary and we need to do, like keeping our, our um, floodplain maps up to date and our flood lang our, uh, language and our code up to date on that so that people can continue to get flood insurance. Um, you know, it's necessary to, to you know, allow people to have temporary campgrounds, so we have to have rules around that. Um, you know, there's just some, some things we just need to keep working ahead on. Um, some things we don't need to do, though, is we don't need to be working on um, climate change at this time or forcing people to accept county contracts. You know, it, it just is not a good reason for that. So um, I see Robin, we have somebody on the board there. Oh, it looks like Jeff is here again. Um, let me bring Jeff up here. Sure. Hang on a second, Jeff. There we go. Jeff. Hey, hey Jay, how's it going? Show. It's going pretty well. How are things over there on the coast? Well, I have to say it's kind of gray and drizzly we had quite a bit of rain this morning i mean my goodness it just pounded us uh dumped here too in elmira so we, we, we they were calling for a half inch of rain i think we got it in about 15 minutes exactly yeah so uh yeah my uh my 97 year old mother uh decided to come up here to escape the armpit of California down there. And uh, so she's staying with us for a while. It's amazing. You know, this, uh, this virus, you know, some people it affects, some people it doesn't. I mean, she's 97. She's, this woman has survived everything from the 1920s, the thirties, German bombs falling on her in London, you know, and, um, and, and all the small, all the pox. And what, what was the thing in the fifties that crippled children? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, polio and 
yeah. and polio, all this stuff. You know, some of our bodies can just uh, resist this, and some of them, you know, can't. It's just an amazing thing yep. in life. Um, yeah. This is a funny thing. I was, was going to tell you, um, talking about, um, you know, the methane and everything. So, you know, we've yeah. all been told, you know, recycle, you know, take your garbage and put it in your backyard and put it in this bin, you know, and you can make a nice fertilizer in the um, future. So the wife is at one of these uh, meetings and um, a lady from DEQ comes to speak to them. And the lady says, um, they're talking about, you know, recycling and stuff. And when it came to like that sort of stuff, you could um, uh, recycle for your garden. She says, no, absolutely do not uh, uh, recycle that stuff. You want to put that in a plastic bag and put that in the dump because of the methane. I mean, are we insane? Yeah, uh, it's just it's surprising to me um, where some people go with this, and the science is just so um, poor and so politically driven that you know there's multiple scientists that have left the IPCC because of the politics involved in it and how they're they're driving what they call science to support an agenda, a political agenda, and and it's basically about grabbing control of the economy, centralizing it as much as possible. Like, like I was talking about earlier in the show about government should be at the most local level. What all this climate change stuff tries to do is push government as far up the ladder as possible to central control and, mm-hmm. and control the economy and then use it to redistribute, redistribution of wealth. It has very little yeah. to do with the environment. You know, one of the, you know, not to get off totally off topic, but of, of course, you know, let's get eclectic here, is one of the things that have kept me up at night is when a government has all the money it wants, what stupid things will they do? I mean, imagine if you're a liberal and you're looking at a conservative, the conservatives say, well, I mean, with all the money we can build, we want, we can go ahead and build Ten more aircraft carriers and a thousand more tanks. You know, if you're a conservative and you're like looking over the liberal, what is he going to do with, you know, spending endless amount of money? They could build dormitories for all the kids. And instead of just feeding them lunches, they could house them all. You know, and they don't have to be with their parents. I mean, it's just crazy when a government has all the money it wants, what damage it could do to society. Yeah, which is why we came up with the idea in this country of limited government. Because unlimited government needs unlimited money, which means unlimited taxation. And then the government has all the power and the people don't. You know, and I, I just, yeah, it amazes me um, some of the suggestions of what people want to do with, with, with money, uh, even at, at the local level here. Um, you know, I sat on the, the Lane Regional Air Protection Authority Board for quite a while, um, and I sat on it with Betty Taylor, who's a city councilor from Eugene, and she was insisting that we should be doing tailpipe testing here in the Eugene Springfield area. 
because she doesn't like seeing cars go down the street that are that might be belching smoke or something like that. You know, the one or two she might see, even though as, as you know that you know those cars age out and people buy new cars, they're getting higher and higher um, efficiency vehicles and less and less emissions. She wanted to spend the money to set up tailpipe testing just to catch those old people, even though our air quality in the Eugene Springfield area has no problems with auto emissions. They're not a significant uh, polluter and um, we don't get high ozone. Um, it just isn't a, an issue. So there's no benefit in doing that tailpipe testing, but she wanted to do no, it, it anyway because she just didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that came, that that's possibly, you know, she was offended by being behind a singular car, which is like one, and I'm going to say one in two, one in, in 2000 cars, because the emissions of vehicles these days, I mean, they reburn the fuel and then they put it through a catalytic converter, which essentially dissolves everything. And you literally have almost water vapor coming out of a modern car these days. It's just ridiculous. But I think, I think people have to realize that that most of the stuff that's refined at a, a at a um, for pollution, you know, if they're concerned about pollution, most refineries, yeah. at least the one like in El Segundo that's near LAX, it makes mostly jet fuel, which is then piped right over to LAX and is loaded into planes by the thousands of gallons. So if you're if if the environmentalists are concerned about this, they want to con- they may not want to. I think we fixed the automotive thing. It's jets, which, I mean, are, are, are like uh, Niagara Falls compared to like a stream. Yeah. Well, they want to stop jet travel too. You know, and it just, just like I was mentioning earlier, how they want to drive the cost of petroleum up to where you, you don't want to use your vehicle. They want to do the same thing to the, the airline industry. They constantly talk about how people shouldn't fly. And, and uh, yeah. you're seeing today the economic impact of people not flying. You know, uh, you know what you're seeing today with COVID-19 is what they want to do to you under cap and trade, and and all these carbon taxing schemes. Yeah, you know, I, I think we're listening to the voices of people that are on social security. I'm not getting bad on people on social security, but it's people that already have like a a social security or they're getting uh, something, you know, a, a, a monthly payment. But those people that literally have to, to go out and go to work, I mean, they're probably not even paying their health insurance premiums. You know, those are the people they need to be interviewing on these TV shows. The people that are actually can't pay their insurance, they actually, you know, this $1,200, you know, I mean, can you imagine if you lived in Los Angeles and you have a your rent is already like, oh God, two thousand dollars a month? Yeah. Yeah, we have to get this country rocking and rolling fast. Yeah, yeah, we have to give people the freedom to make decisions and then and and have confidence that they'll make good decisions. What you're seeing is people that don't have confidence in the American public. If, you, if you're still all for completely keeping everything shut down 
is because you don't believe people will act in the best interest of themselves and society. Yet the whole free market economy is built on the fact that people act in their own self best interests. You know, and we've been doing it forever. You know, what, why do you think people would stop all of a sudden? Do you think people are going to stop washing their hands and they're going to stop wearing masks and they're going to stop standing six feet apart if we let them, you know, uh, start, you know, sitting down inside a restaurant instead of, of picking up their stuff? I, I, no, you're I absolutely right. Like I mean, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm standing outside the River Roasters here in town and um, three of us were all just talking with a cup of coffee in our right hand. And we were naturally six feet and the other people we knew, you know, they would join us in the conversation, but it's like, we we're like, like those uh, opposing magnets. We got so close and then we stopped. And so it, I think it's in our minds. Now we're aware of it. Um, they need to let, they need to let us, um, they need to free us up. Now we know how to protect ourselves. Now, like you were just saying, trust us. And uh, we'll take care of ourselves. Yeah. Well, thanks for calling in, Jeff. I really appreciate it. You got it, Jay. Uh, well, yeah. So here at the coast, we're I'll we're doing fine. Um, but um, I'll I'll call you next week. All right. I appreciate it. I always like the report from Florence. There. You got it. All right. Bye bye. Yeah. Stay safe. Bye bye. So that's all you have to do to get in on the Bo's Nose Show, and you can take the conversation in any direction you want to take it. Just give us a call at 646-721-9887. We've still got about five minutes left in the show, and if I've got a caller in the middle of a conversation, the magic of Internet radio is I am not stuck to a format. I will go beyond that hour if you call in right now. So 646-721-9887, just press 1. That lets Robin, my call screener and producer, Extraordinaire, I know you want to get in on the conversation. So Jeff brought up some interesting points. And it's kind of interesting in talking about his 90-some-year-old mom and, and how she survived all those things throughout the decades. Um, and now she's going to probably survive COVID-19 uh, and we'll have another story to tell. Don't quite have that many people that, that can talk about having survived the uh the Spanish flu, because being over 100 years ago, they'd have, they'd have to be about 120 to have to be old enough to remember it um, <laughs> at the time. So, uh, you know, we, we can't quite talk about that one. But, you know, think about all the things that, you know, measles and mumps and polio and other um, diseases that we had running rampant through this country before we developed vaccines and kind of limited them. Um, you know, there's still people that die of malaria today, but we've actually gotten pretty good control of that. But it was much more rampant at one time. In fact, uh, even uh, New York City was well known for having malaria in the summer times when it was a colonial town. Um, and, and people would leave New York, the, the richer people would leave and go to their country estates in the summertime to get away from the bad air. Malaria, mal air, bad air. That's how it got its name because <laughs> they didn't understand how they got it. They used to have burn fires on street corners to create smoke to chase off the bad air <laughs> in New York City. Um, you know, it's amazing the things that this 
you know, human society has survived. We'll get past COVID-19. Um, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, you know, is is having it once going to be like everything else, you know, some of the other diseases where you're permanently immune to it, or is it going to be one of those diseases where you can get reinfected? Um, you can get reinfected with certain flu strains, even though you've had them once. Um, so it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that all falls out over the years as we learn more and more about COVID-19. And as we move on here in Oregon and hopefully move towards getting our economy back going, because my fear now is we're actually creating more damage to the human condition with the shutdown than we would with the actual disease. And it's kind of going to be a balancing act now. And, I, and I'm not saying that dollars are more important than lives, but dollars equate to lives in many ways. There's such a strong tie to early death rates um, and poor health outcomes to poverty. It is incredibly easy to find study after study out there that shows that being poor re results in poor health and, and, and shortened lifespans. So pushing this economy into where people are going to move you know, down into that poverty scale, you're talking about having permanent damage to their long-term health. So there is a life-for-life trade-off between economics and, and the, you know, a reopening under COVID-19 and, and the possible health impact if we have a rebound of the disease. Not sure if we will or not. But, you know, that's all, you know, we don't know enough about COVID hardly. We do know enough now, and I think we've taught everybody out there, you know, about, you know, no large gatherings, you know, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Wear a mask when you're out in public so you don't infect somebody else. You know, those sort of things, if we can keep that sort of stuff up, you know, sanitizing surfaces, uh, you know, just understanding and using some common sense, I think we can get back to business here in Lane County, get back to business in Oregon, get back to business in the USA, and do it responsibly and trust individuals in this country, the citizens of this country, to do the right thing. Don't feel like we have to mandate it. But we'll be back next week on the Bo's Nose Show, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Maybe we'll have something to talk about other than COVID-19. Who knows? I'll have the results of whether we vote to force hotels uh, to accept homeless COVID patients. Find that out by next week. Have a great week, and thank you for listening to the Bo's Nose Show.